Welcome to the Fully Engaged Church Podcast, your source to help your church grow in ministry effectiveness. We'll connect you with some of the leading thinkers in church world today to help you get fully engaged with your community, with God, and with everyone you encounter. If you're ready to see your church experience what it's like to be fully engaged, you've found the right place. You've found today's episode of the Fully Engaged Church Podcast, brought to you by Mag Bookkeeping. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Fully Engaged Church Podcast. I'm Randy Anji, president of Mag Bookkeeping, and I'm so delighted today to, to have as a guest Peter Greer, who's president of Hope International. Peter, welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. Uh, pastors, church leaders, if you have not had the opportunity to hear uh, or, or, or read Peter's um, writings, books, etc., yeah, you're in for a treat today. Uh, we're going to talk about um, a pretty wide-ranging uh, series of topics that really concern church and church leadership and making good decisions at I- impacting the world around us. Uh, one of the things that that we're committed to at the Fully Engaged Church Podcast is to ensure that people are engaged with God, they're engaged with one another in a meaningful way, and that they're engaged with their world around them. And, you know, Hope International is right at the center of the sweet spot of helping us engage meaningfully with the world around us. And so I am super excited about this. So, But Peter, why don't you kick it off by just telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, no, happy to. So uh, start with the important things. I am married to Laurel and have three kids and uh, live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, which is home for us. Uh, but spend my time mixed between here and some of the places where we serve around the world. We operate in 17 countries. And really, Hope International was founded in uh, uh, a way that maybe some churches will kind of relate to. But it was a church that wanted to go and help. Um, and they understood from Scripture that they were the category of people that had been blessed uh, to be a blessing. And so after the fall of the Soviet Union, they said, we've got to do something. So they packed their suitcases uh, and they went. They had a partnership with a church in Zaporozhye, Ukraine, started giving things away. And uh, after that model of partnership, they eventually came to the conclusion that their help wasn't really helping. And, and maybe you've had this experience, Randy. I, I know it matched my experience growing up and going on short-term mission trips, but the first time you go and you give something away, there's this, there's this gratitude, this yeah. appreciation. I can't mm-hmm. believe you came and you, you care and you're giving us something, but mm-hmm. you go back a second year and it's not gratitude, it's anticipation. Mm-hmm. Go back a third year and it's expectation. You go back a fourth year and it is dependency. Uh, you go back a fifth year and it's full-blown entitlement. Uh, an entitled mentality. And so uh, Bob Lupton talks about that uh, cycle in his book, Toxic Charity, and it certainly resonated with my experience and really was the birthing of Hope International. So kind of a little bit of a different approach. It's a heart for the gospel. It's a heart to love our neighbor, but it's a different method uh, in terms of how we help. Yeah, wonderful. Well, and I love that when I say wonderful, the reason I say that is because I love that uh, when we see good intentions starting to have uh, the, a less than desirable impact to be strategic enough and honest enough to say, let's plan a better way to do this. And, and that's one of the things I'm hoping that pastors and church leaders get today is that if you're going it alone in this outreach area, especially cross-culturally, 
uh, there are there are pitfalls. There are things to know and to learn, and there are folks to help along the way. And so, want to really speak to that because I know we all want to make a difference with our lives and with our ministry and and um, with with everything that we do. And so, we want to make everything we do count, don't we? Yes. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I do think that's a little bit of a difference in kind of the the group of individuals, our founder, uh, and and the other members from the church, that they, they were not afraid to have their eyes fully open to the fact that good intentions do not always have good results. And and yet for some of us, it, it can lead to a sense of discouragement. Um, sometimes we can, you know, I get it, my help can hurt. Um, a great book by Brian Fickert and Steve Corbett. Um, and, and yet there still is this clear and compelling call in scripture to say, we are to care for the orphan, to the widow, to the, to the alien. We, we are to care for others. But the important question is, how do we do that most effectively? And that's where we want to engage our heart. We want to feel deeply when there is pain in the world. And we also want to fully engage our mind to say, what really makes an impact? What can we do as churches to be agents of blessing in all the corners of the world? And, and again, that's where uh, I just have come to the conclusion that what is appropriate in a relief situation in terms of immediate disaster response, immediate handout, immediate taking care of need, that approach, if it doesn't change over time, can actually further strengthen the chains of poverty by making people feel more helpless and more hopeless than before we ever showed up. Wow. And so that really is this issue. How do we still feel deeply? How do we yeah. still care when we, when we read stories about pain and suffering? And then how do we engage our mind to say, and what, is, what really makes an impact? And how really do we use what we've been given to make a lasting impact for the kingdom uh, in places of poverty? Wow. Well, that is... That is going to be fun to uncover here a bit with you and un- unpack that. I was, as you were speaking, I was thinking of uh, care in the church world as a as a recovering executive pastor. One of the things we grappled with was caring for people, and someone smarter than I was figured out uh, on our staff team that there was a a vast difference between acute care and chronic care, and if they were treated the same, they. Um, they one was very ineffective and and very unfulfilling and and so we found out that they had to be um, gone after in very very different ways and uh, when we figured that out we started to make a bit of headway it sounds to me like the same thing's true in emergency situations disaster relief versus um, uh, ongoing care for people yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, that fits our experience as well, that one of the important mind shifts early on is to realize that there's no one uh, so poor that they have nothing to give, and there's no one too rich that they don't have something they need to receive. Mm. So we talk a lot uh, about this idea of reciprocity, uh, mm. about, yes, we want to share, but, but this is a two-way street. We all have issues, uh, and we all have areas that we need to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And the second principle is that uh, everyone is gifted by God with certain gifts mm. of creativity. It's part of the beautiful part of being created in the image of God, that there's gifts of creativity. And so when we go into a community, we no longer go in with the assumption that we have solution and people are sitting around waiting for us to come in and solve their problems. We instead believe that God is already at work. God is already gifted. God is already called. God is already equipped. And we simply want to go in and partner with that. And then perhaps the third principle that we think about as an organization is that we believe a job is better than a handout. We have perhaps a different theology uh, of 
work. Um, and we believe that a great gift that we can give is not just uh, giving someone a loaf of bread, but walking with them as they uh, create a bakery uh, mm-hmm. that ends up baking the bread. And so everything that we do is designed to transition from short-term relief. We want to go beyond that. And we want to help people uh, experience the gift of being micro entrepreneurs and micro philanthropists in their own communities. And so that's really the emphasis of what we do at Hope International. We go in, target uh, communities, uh, equip them with a discipleship-based approach, and along with that, invest in them so that they can invest in their dreams and uh, really grow thriving small communities that allow them to be the best child sponsors in the world, our mom and dad, um, in the communities where we serve. Yeah, wonderful. You've got quite a litany of books that you have written. One of them that caught my eye that I think speaks to this, along with some of the other titles you've, you've just mentioned, is The Spiritual Danger of Doing Good. And, and that's, um, you know, there, that is uh, a pretty stark title for me. That hits me uh, pretty hard to say, spiritual danger. Oh, you mean I could do something that I would consider good that could actually harm someone spiritually uh, I, and uh, this is one of those topics that I know that pastors and church leaders really need to hear about as they make decisions about how to engage the world. So unpack this a little bit for me. Um, what can constitute, put quotations around the word good, uh, doing good in that way that could be a spiritual danger? I think that pastors have one of the most difficult jobs on earth. Uh, and it is one of the most important jobs on earth, but it is difficult in so many ways. And uh, really thinking about this topic, it, it came from this belief that initially I was watching churches that were going and they were helping and they were doing things and they actually were harming the beneficiaries. So they were going and creating cycles of, cycles of entitlement or cycles of dependency, and it was actually perpetuating the problem of poverty. And so a lot of my thinking, a lot of my writing was about how do we change the paradigm from seeing individuals as passive recipients to active participants. Uh, and so that, that whole concept of the danger of doing good, initially I thought about that from the one way that we can do harm for the people that we're going to serve. But after I was doing this for a, a period of years, I saw that it's not just, it's not just the possibility to harm people internationally it's, or, or domestically when we're serving. It's actually the harm that we can do to ourselves in our own faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, uh, it was uh, perhaps one moment that I recognized that most acutely is when my wife sat me down. And she said, Peter, I am committed to you, but I feel nothing for you. And uh, this is the woman that uh, our first date was rafting down the Nile. We had started our marriage in Rwanda. Uh, We had, uh, and yet in the midst of all of this great work, uh, I had forgotten the gift and the calling that it was to have ministry, not just internationally, not just in the places that we do, but ministry and love and service and sacrifice to the people that are closest to me. And so there, there's a danger in doing good that we get so excited about our ministries that we actually forget people that are closest to us. Mm-hmm. 80% of pastor spouses resent the ministry. Uh, one study um, that just was so uh, compelling. And, and that's not just for churches. I think that's for 
all sorts of leaders. Sure. And so this idea of saying, how do we really shine a spotlight on our own heart and say, how do we see when our own heart is getting off track? How are the places that we are neglecting our own faith? How are the places that we're caring more about the image that we're projecting than the impact? How is it possible that we are not recognizing what everyone else sees about us? The, the higher you, know, you go, the more people want to put you on a pedestal, the shakier of a position you are. Mm. And uh, you know, looking at scripture, only one out of three biblical leaders seem to finish well. And uh, I believe that that uh, statistic is probably true today uh, as well. And so what do we do? What do we do to change those percentages and to say, we want to be people that live faithfully, that serve joyfully, and that finish well. Mm-hmm. And so this whole, the whole book, The Spiritual Danger of Doing Good, is really trying to get a hold of what's happening in our hearts, maybe throw a little bit of skepticism about even our most noble intentions, mm-hmm. and to understand that our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we really understand the danger that can happen to us as we are in the midst of doing the good work that we're called to do. Oh, that's well said. And, and, and I, I don't think we can say that often enough, um, how, how important it is that pastors and other church leaders stay healthy and vibrant and close to the cross um, and, and being sure that we're being fed, mentored, encouraged, and held accountable. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is when the Apostle Paul says, lest I preach to others and become disqualified. And he uses that, the word disqualified there means shipwreck, basically shipwrecking his faith, being of no use at the end of, of things. And so that's a great admonition to finish well, for sure. So it's great. The book that has also garnered a lot of discussion in uh, church world, uh, church leadership world, is uh, Mission Drift. And I have had a lot of conversations with pastors and, and leaders about mission, vision, core values, you know, what makes you unique as a ministry, what, who God's called you to be, what he's called you to do. And there seems like a lot of fear about uh, guarding the mission and, and seeing that it goes forward. And yet it does drift very easily, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It, it, so it's been really interesting. So I, I, I have had the hobby. Uh, I travel with my job, and I have had the uh, uh, use that time to kind of write as a personal discipline and as a way to keep making sure I'm not being stretched thin, but actually engaging in a topic. And so initially, again, as I said, I was writing about uh, how the church can be engaged in effective poverty alleviation, and then uh, writing about the dangers that can happen to us and how drift happens in our heart. And then uh, really it's, it's kind of the next uh, kind of topic that kind of captivate us is this idea of drift because it's, it's not just in our heart, but organizations tend to drift from their founding passions. And it's so interesting in the book of, uh, of Joshua, uh, you know, this bold declaration, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then you turn just a few pages later in, in the book of Judges and you realize that his grandchildren were functional atheists. Um, they had walked away, so that bold declaration had not stuck. Um, and the same is happening in organizations today. Harvard University had the original mission statement of this. It was to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. They said, that's our flag. That's what we're created to do. 
And yet today at the 350th anniversary, someone, a historian that was writing about that concluded this university has become godless. And so even though on the diploma, you still see the words veritas, truth, and around it, Christo et ecclesia, truth for Christ and the church, mm -hmm. that is not what is happening today. It was interesting, a group of individuals moved south as they saw the drift that was happening at Harvard, and they founded another uh, institution of higher education. They founded Yale University and their motto was Luke's at Veritas. We want to make sure light is always seen in the light of Christ and yet they also drifted and as we started looking at this topic we found how easy it was to find examples of drift and it's across it's across spaces, it's across sectors, it's in higher education, it is in churches, it is in charities and I believe it is inevitable if we aren't doing something to combat it. Yeah. So the book Mission Drift really is trying to find contrasting stories. Those organizations that have scaled, professionalized, and remained mission true, what did they do that stood in stark contrast to the other organizations that drifted? Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to take uh, the same type of approach of Jim Collins and Good to Great. Yeah. Your sample group, and yeah. you try to compare and you try to figure out what's the difference. And so we found uh, 12 variables uh, that, that we believe make a difference in whether or not an organization will be prone to drift. Wow. And so that's, that's what we've been thinking about and really uh, more important than thinking about it, we've been trying to apply because I really, I'm committed uh, not just to doing microfinance and economic development, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm committed to the gospel and how do we keep that at the heart of our churches, charities, missions, everything yes. that we do. Yeah, I, I think that um, the, the uh, churches and organizations that do will have a dispro disproportionately large impact uh, in the kingdom because so many are drifting for, a very, for, for various reasons. Uh, and so uh, I talk to pastors a lot about being good stewards of the opportunity God's given you and certainly protecting the mission of, of, you, of the church or other organization is at the center of that and then it is, yeah. I think it would be hard to find uh, many higher missions uh, than protecting the core of uh, of the church or of the mission. That, that yeah, I love that word steward that you've been given, you've been entrusted uh, to mm -hmm. steward. Um, and you know, it's just so interesting. It happens in short order. It really is one maximum two generations uh, before the actual organization. It is almost impossible to see. You know, one thing that we uh, we profiled on there was the, the beautiful story of the founding of the YMCA. And the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, uh, George Williams, the streets of London, and outreach to displaced youth. And yet my experience growing up in New England uh, was that it was a great place to play basketball, mm -hmm. but there was no trace of any other mission. Um, and... Uh, uh, yeah, so there, there, you don't have to look far to see examples of, of drift, and I just don't want that to be my legacy. Um, I don't want that to be our legacy. Share a couple of tidbits from Mission Drift, some, some things uh, that, you know, are kind of at the top of that, the, the, those 12 lists that seem to occur regularly in either protecting mission or losing mission. 
Yeah, I mean, we hit it briefly, uh, but I think it starts what's happening in the heart of the leader. You can have all sorts of organizational issues. You can have all sorts of controls, and yet if you're missing what's happening in your life uh, in terms of your own spiritual vitality uh, and growth and discipleship, um, the, so, the seeds of drift are, are taking root. A second thing that we uh, were perhaps surprised uh, was the role of money. Uh, follow the money, and it will be amazing what happens. We were surprised to read the story of Andrew Carnegie, the steel magnate, and all of his success. And he provided an endowment for higher education. Uh, he provided $10 million. And uh, historians have written that he had no idea that when he included this small phrase that sectarian institutions would be barred from accessing these funds, he had no idea that what that actually did was the largest secularization of higher education in a short amount of time because organizations that had any affiliation or had any uh, connection to the church, those ties were severed very quickly. Um, so funding matters a lot. Third thing, a lot of people have great um, uh, plans uh, to make sure you hire well, and yet if there aren't the processes set up to hire well, there's a fascinating story we found from Phil Vischer about VeggieTales and about how two years in, the CEO that he had hired, uh, he's at this staff meeting and Phil Vischer stands up and says, I'm a Christian and, you know, VeggieTales, this is bringing Bible stories to life for kids. You would think it would be pretty clear what the mission was. So he stands up and says, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible holds the truth. Um, mm -hmm. And he goes on and, and talks about the purpose of why VeggieTales and the parent organization, Big Idea, were created. Mm -hmm. And then his CEO at that moment stood up and said, if that's what this is about, I need to opt out. Can you imagine two years <laughs> in the position and there was a misalignment with what the core purpose of veggie tales. And so maybe we would think, you know, churches, we don't need to clarify, you know, purpose and passion. I think we always have to keep coming back. Um, fourth is this idea of culture. Uh, we found a great example, Taylor University. They bring uh, freshmen in and as part of the initiation, they, they, they wash the freshmen's feet um, in the upper class. And I think what a beautiful way of establishing culture that we're here to love and serve and welcome. Um, so culture matters a lot. And board of directors and what you measure. I think a lot of organizations measure nothing more than number of people that are being served and the size of the budget. And I believe that if that is your definition of success, you are on your way to drift. And so Mission True organizations had a bigger, broader way of yeah. thinking about uh, success and what they measure. I, I've spent a fair amount of time talking to churches about this. And, and I, you know, I mentioned to you, I, I was in a church consulting role for a season before heading up and uh, leading mag bookkeeping. But um, it, one of the things I chatted with them a lot about was qualitative assessment, qualitative metrics being so important to understand, you know, um, a lot of people don't like qualitative metrics because they can be, they, they are what they are. They're subjective. They're not, they're not just numbers, but agreeing on a really tight, rigid definition for those qualitative standards before you do something is critical Right. And so be, before you sit down and evaluate the worship service or, you know, whatever the event or whatever the, the opportunity was that you, that you executed on, make sure before when you're planning it that you, you plan to know how to evaluate it, uh, that you agree on language and uh, markers. And uh, I, I don't know that that's as easy as some might think it is, but it's not 
it's it's also doable if you if you're intentional about it and so you know you speak my my love language when you talk about metrics and evaluation <laughs> well it is true uh you know, the drucker you get what you measure yes. um or you really get what you celebrate and i know in my uh, leadership journey at, at hope international uh, the times when we have gotten off track are the times when we were focused on as everything growing uh, in mm -hmm. terms of numbers mm -hmm. and not on health and not mm -hmm. asking and listening to the people that we're serving. And so things can look great. Uh, they can all be up and to the right and they can fall off that cliff so quickly. Um, and uh, again, I just think that was probably some of my greatest failures in my own leadership journey mm -hmm. was yes. having a truncated vision of what success looked like mm -hmm. and a faulty vision that if numbers looked good, therefore, uh, good ministry must be happening, and that's just not true. So great, excellent. Well, again, uh, those are some real, really good takeaway high points from that. But um, I mean, that's a must-read book, folks. Um, so I would, I would commend it. So you've got a new book out that I'm really uber excited to learn about. I haven't seen it yet, and so I'm looking forward to uh, to delving into this a bit. But it's called Forty Forty Vision. And yeah, so, you know, I, I was so surprised. Um, I, I have a couple friends um, that I've been walking with and, and uh, who are just a few steps ahead of me. And I was just surprised uh, when it started to appear that really rational people, godly people, started to act irrationally. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it happened in the 40s. Gordon McDonald has this quote. He says, I believe the 40s are dangerous and uncharted waters. Wow. Um, and uh, empirically, there was a study that was done uh, that was written about in The Economist. And it talked about this idea of life satisfaction. And they measure it. And they found that it steadily declines in the 20s and 30s. And it bottoms out in the 40s. So empirically, there's something about this. Uh, it was the Canadian psychologist, Elliot Jacques, who wrote about this uh, for the first time and, and coined the term the midlife crisis. And turns out there's a lot of statistics behind that. Uh, and it's not just for men, it's men and women. Women are actually more likely to go through a turbulent time in the 30s, wow. slightly higher. So there's something empiric, uh, empirical about this is a turbulent time of life. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, it's, yes. it's when for the first time you have to stare your mortality in the eye. You have uh, aging parents and you understand the brevity of life. You wake up one morning and you realize 40 is the halfway point. You're more than halfway there. And so you start to wonder, what am I building? What really is going to last? Or maybe you catch what it is that you were chasing and it didn't really make an impact like you thought it was. Or maybe you haven't caught your dream and, and you wonder if you ever are. You start to lose hope. And so it's these sorts of questions that I believe are addressed in midlife and most people are unprepared for them. They have no idea that these questions are coming. And it's the book of Ecclesiastes, as crazy as that book is, that makes you ask these questions yes. of what ultimately matters. Yes. And so the book is really a thought exercise uh, to say, let's pursue these issues to the end. Let's mm -hmm. ask the tough questions that not you, that if you don't answer, you are going to have a turbulent ride. But I believe you can find peace uh, in some of these issues of how do you think about your mortality? Mm -hmm. How do you think about the aging process? How do you think about the impact on your body? How do you think about the way that your mind, how do you think about your career, your work, your calling? And again, it's all of these big picture questions that a time in life 
You've got to answer these questions. And so we want to help prompt people to ask the big questions, to get to preempt their own midlife crisis. Don't do something you'll regret. Ask the questions, face them square on, yes. and find meaning above the sun. And so that's really what the book uh, is about. And I'm so excited. I, I've, been, I've been profoundly impacted by writing it, and I, I'm so interested to see if this message is going to resonate with others. It's funny when you mention this. Um, I have had this hanging on my bulletin board in my office since it was new, and it's, um, it was a... Uh, it's a list of questions by the decade by Gordon, Gordon McDonald. Have yes, you ever seen this? Book, a resilient life. Yes, yeah. And he, um, right. you know, it, it, this was posted in leadership journal in the, on the, in the summer of 2007, but he does questions for each decade. But the ones for the forties are, why are some of my peers doing better than me? Why am I often disappointed in myself and others? Um, why is, isn't my faith deeper? Why is my marriage less than dazzling? Why do I yearn to go back to the carefree days of my youth? Should I scale back some of my dreams? Why do I no longer feel attractive? And so kind of a little bit more fodder for those 40s, but that's just it, isn't it? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. No, Gordon has written, spoken about this in just a, a wonderful way. But yeah, it really is. Those are the questions. That, in my experience, is that people have no idea that these questions are on the horizon, and they demand to be answered. Like, if you can't answer them, they will find other ways of being answered as you try to go and, and find other ways of answering. So, again, that, that's the really goal. We want to prompt those types of questions and look at, uh, look at life uh, in all of its beauty and in all of its pain uh, mm -hmm. and try to ask the big questions uh, that, again, when you find resolution, that then opens up the door to yes. purpose and meaning and satisfaction uh, in, in a really special way. Well, and this kind of comes full circle with where we started um, our conversation, and that is that, you know, one of the key, one of the necessary ingredients at protecting vision and stewarding ministry opportunities and all of the things that we've been chatting about really comes around to protecting oneself. And, and you know, finishing well is dependent on knowing what God's up to in our lives. And if we don't allow ourselves to be asked and to answer hard questions, we're going to miss that. So what are you hoping when you wrote this book? What were you hoping to have happen? As a I was result? hoping to preempt my own life, uh, midlife crisis. Uh, <laughs> there you go. No, so there, there's, a, there's a selfish motivation here. Um, <laughs> and, and it has. Uh, there very much was a desire for my friends uh, and I, uh, who are perhaps in the middle of this stage, uh, to have uh, a framework, uh, mm -hmm. to have a guide uh, mm -hmm. to help us navigate it. So, um, again, I, I sure hope uh, other people find it beneficial, find it helpful. I know I have uh, in looking at this topic uh, and thinking deeply about it. Um, and, you know, I had a couple experiences. Um, I got uh, robbed at gunpoint in Haiti. Uh, was uh, some uh, very close to uh, fatality issues in uh, aircraft, international helicopter in Afghanistan, and an old Russian uh, airplane in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, so that kind of prompted uh, my own thinking about my own mortality and what really matters. And um, yeah, so just having a place to explore, 
explore mm-hmm. those big questions uh, has been, yeah, it, it, it has changed me. And uh, so the highest goal would be that it might have a positive impact on others as well that, that are in this stage as well. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's, that's great. And, um, you know, I love that I would love for younger people to prepare ahead of time, you know, to know that next season is coming and not to feel weird about it, you know, just to know this is part of life. It's part of life on earth. So um, what do you think about the church? What do you think, uh, where's the church headed? You know, isn't Abraham Lincoln that said the great quote, like better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I think that's a great uh, quote. Um, I won't maybe heed his advice, but my guess is the people on this uh, that are listening in are far more equipped to answer that. Just personally, some of the things that I've uh, been really pleased about that I've seen is, is I think that there has been a period uh, that we have uh, missed out on the great calling that we have uh, to be salt and light and hope and healing in a, in a world that desperately is looking for signs yes. uh, that there is a difference and there is a reason for hope. And so I'm excited as I think about the church. I think there's an eyes and a heart that is wide open to say, let's roll up our sleeves and let's get involved. My wife and I have been uh, working with safe families uh, through Bethany Christian Services Mm. and our church. um, It's been so great to see people with a heart to say, let's be, uh, let's open our homes uh, to kids that need a home. Mm. Uh, Let's clear the the list of foster care. So I Mm. love that there's a movement there. I think internationally as well as domestically, there's a recognition in wanting to go beyond soup kitchens as good as that is, Mm. but to say, how do we have people uh, getting the soup, making business uh, so that they don't need to come to the kitchen because they've got their own kitchens. So I think there's a change in mentality about how we serve and how we equip and empower and release uh, as opposed to just uh, short-term thinking. So I think there's a new stage in, 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 in the best of, uh, entrepreneurship uh, from kingdom-minded people. I think there also is a generosity movement that's happening right now, and yes. maybe this relates to 4040 Vision. Mm-hmm. People are catching their financial dreams, mm-hmm. and you got two choices. Do you set a new goal line, or do you actually say, you know what, I've got enough, and now I want to be part of, of, of truly of radical giving. And so there's a mm-hmm. couple friends from Harvard Business School that just wrote a book, Through the Eye of the Needle, and they say, instead of asking the question of how much we give, we want to ask the the question, how much should we keep? And so early in their career, setting a financial finish line and saying anything above that is what we're going to be giving away for the rest of our lives. And this radical movement of generosity uh, is having a tremendous impact. So I think there's something uh, happening that's pretty special uh, right now uh, with, with the church. And yes. uh, I think it couldn't come at a better time yes. where people are needing to see an authentic expression of followers of Jesus that are willing to take great risks, yes. that are willing to sacrifice simply for nothing that they get uh, other than an act of love and devotion reflecting the type of love that they've received in Christ. Wow. And so I'm, I'm optimistic. Maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about where, where the church is mm-hmm. uh, heading in the years to come. Yes. Um, yeah. And as with every stage, there will be incredible challenges. Uh, and we know uh, that because uh, of, of who is the head of the church, we know that we'll get through it Yeah, uh, in a way. Yeah, yeah well, it, not, even, not only get through it, but Jesus said that his church, he's building it, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it 
it's an offensive term, meaning the gates of hell don't stand a chance right. against the church in, in its progress. And so, you know, but it is, I agree with you. I'm seeing the same things. I'm seeing that same movement. God's up to something, not just in our country, but in our world. Right. And he's using his, his followers to right. accomplish much. And that's exciting. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about how a church could partner with Hope International. What would that look like? How can you help the church to be more effective in, their, uh, in reaching the world? Yeah, oh, that's a great question. Thanks. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we are uh, convinced of, and this really goes back to your comments at the beginning, but uh, there, there is a time and a place for partnership uh, to be more effective. Um, and uh, one of the areas that I believe is this whole area of, of, of trying to invest in others and this whole idea about uh, equipping um, and using microfinance and microenterprise development, uh, that is an area that uh, is, is difficult. Um, you have to understand regulatory environment. You're talking about money that is going. You're making small loans to people and you want to get repaid and how in the world does that even happen? Um, and so we love that we've been able to walk alongside churches uh, most of the time, it's been churches that have been having an international presence and have awoken to the fact that they've created a system of dependency. And, and it's been good and it's been appropriate, but there's no exit strategy. There's no way of now equipping the local churches to be the local church and for them now to be sending in their communities. And so uh, we've been uh, able to have uh, some church partnerships that have been really positive, really productive um, uh, and so, again, especially uh, where there are churches active in the places where we operate, the 16 countries, um, the, the, the way that it oftentimes works is that uh, there's a particular church that will have a particular uh, area of interest in the world. And so we can kind of be the feet on the, on the ground in helping uh, equip and mobilize uh, this sort of a changed approach. So, yeah, we've got a separate part of our website at hopeinternational.org that will give you more about a church uh, engagement strategy. Uh, and I believe that if we're doing this well, uh, it also is going to have a positive impact on the church uh, in the States uh, through the partnership as uh, they understand that God is on the move, that just as you said, this is a global movement right now. And so uh, we're, we're really thankful. Uh, we have a number of solid church partnerships, and I uh, would love to have more. Yes. Well, that is great. Um, again, I, I love when someone has laid tracks for us to run on. We don't have to always be laying our own tracks in the train analogy or metaphor. Sometimes it helps if tracks have been, have, have been laid ahead of time and you, you guys do a great job of that and keep us out of some pitfalls as well. You know, not getting engaged in the wrong places or inadvertently do harm when we're trying to do good. And so um, love that. Um, and I love the way you're serving, not only impacting uh, the world with the gospel, with what you're doing, but you're setting it up so that the rest of us can participate as well. So that is awesome. Well, Again, we could talk for a long, long time and uh, not, not run out of my questions, but this is a great starting point, Peter, and I really appreciate your time. We're going to, um, on, our, on our website, which again, folks, that is magbookkeeping.com, mag, M-A-G, bookkeeping.com. If you'll go there and go to the podcast icon, 
the show notes, the actual transcript of this show today with Peter Greer. It'll be it'll say Peter Greer Open International. Click on that. You'll get the resources um, for the for this show. You'll also see links to Mission Drift, Spiritual Danger of Doing Good, um, and the 4040 Vision book, which is the new book that we just talked about. And I would commend it to um, everyone. I just think that's a fodder for great discussion for folks as you consider your next chapter of life and ask great questions. I just want to say thanks. This has been fantastic to have this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to participate. Folks, again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Fully Engaged Church. Please go to iTunes or the uh, source that you listen and leave a rating for us if you'd be so kind to do that. That helps us and it helps spread the word about the podcast so more uh, pastors and church leaders find us and get a chance to listen to this awesome content. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Fully Engaged Church Podcast, brought to you by Mag Bookkeeping. For more information on helping your church become more fully engaged, visit us at magbookkeeping.com or follow us on Twitter at magbookkeeping. Join us next time for another episode of the Fully Engaged Church.